Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is uh, Joshua Hare, MD. He's a co-founder and chief science officer at a company called Longeveron. Their website is L-O-N-G-E-V-E-R-O-N.com. So, uh, Josh, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we had discussed the, the work that Longeveron is doing in the, in aging. So uh, tell me the premise of the company first, and then we'll we'll go from there. The company was founded four years ago with a technology license from the University of Miami Interdisciplinary Stem Cell Institute. The premise is that aging is a major societal problem that uh, we're turning our attention to in the biotechnology industry as something that's a treatable condition and something that we can modify biologically to improve the health span of, of people in our country and worldwide. And the basic idea uh, the the uh, work that was formed the basis for the hypothesis that the company is testing is that we could use infusions of allogeneic mesenchymal stem cells to treat people with a condition called aging frailty, which affects about 50% of people above the age of 65. Hmm. So what is uh, allogeneic and mesenchymal stem cells? What kind of stem cells are they? Mesenchymal stem cells are a prototypic adult stem cell. As we think about the field of cell-based therapy or regenerative medicine, we can broadly divide cells into two types, adult stem cells and pluripotent stem cells. So in the adult stem cell area, uh, mesenchymal stem cells are, are a prototype, and they were first discovered in adult bone marrow. And we now know that these cells can be found throughout the body in a variety of, of tissue sources. And the cells have a lot of regenerative and, re and reparative process, uh, 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 reparative and regenerative <clears throat> uh, potential. And so they can serve the basis as a therapeutic for many, many conditions. And we became very interested in using them to treat aging frailty for, for a couple of reasons, um, that, uh, including the fact that aging frailty is associated with stem cell depletion in the body and with some low-grade levels of inflammation. These are things, both of these things can be addressed by stem cell infusions. So when you say they're mesenchymal stem cells, you pronounce them differently, but are these induced pluripotent stem cells, or are they uh, just stem cells in the body, wherever they reside? Yeah, they're not induced, so we don't do any genetic modification to increase their pluripotency. Uh, rather, these are cells that were initially found in, in the bone marrow and can be culture expanded. And there's a big debate right now whether we could actually call them stem cells or some other kind of cells. Whatever, whatever a scientist or a doctor wants to call them, we know what they are. So they are a cell that you can be uh, purified from the bone marrow and can be expanded in a culture dish. So the, f the fact that they can be expanded in a culture dish is one of the properties of a stem cell. A stem cell can, can self-replicate, make more copies of itself, and differentiate. And these cells do both of those things, which is why they're called stem cells. But whether or not they differentiate in the body when they're used as a therapy is controversial. 
Nonetheless, we know that if we introduce them into the body, they uh, release cytokines and growth factors and microRNAs and organelles, and they can rejuvenate a tissue and have an anti-inflammatory effect. So all we do to prepare them is to culture expand them. We don't do any genetic modification of the cells at this point. Okay, gotcha. I guess it could be good or bad if they're labeled as stem cells or not labeled as stem cells. You know, it could be a lightning rod for controversy if they are labeled, if they're, you know, they may attract more funding, but if they're not labeled as such, they may avoid controversy, but it may be harder to get funding. So I guess, yeah. you know, I don't know the dynamics around it, but I'm guessing there would be. Well, it's a, the whole field of cell therapy is very controversial. It's waxing and waning. There are ups and downs. Um, having said that, there's about 20 years of clinical research under our belt and about 40 years of basic research under our belt about these types of cells. So whatever people want to call them, they, you know, I'm happy for people to debate what they want to call them, but we at Longevron know what they are, know how to make them, and are in a phase 2B clinical trial uh, using them for aging frailty and for the immunologic uh, deficiencies that also accompany aging frailty. So we're very excited about our product and our project. So how are they used? So you'll you'll pull them from someone's bone marrow. I, I've heard like I guess near their iliac crest, you know, in their hip or other places. Yeah. And you'll pull a small amount that the, the body regenerates on its own, so it doesn't really miss it, right? Exactly. So so it's very easy to take a bone marrow aspiration. Uh, from the iliac crest. It's the bone that's in your back that's closest to the skin. It's pretty painless to do it. We do it under some uh, light anesthesia. We we take the bone marrow from healthy screened subjects. And then, yes, we can culture expand the cells and make um, billions of cells and hundreds of doses of cells from a single donor. They can be used as an allograft, which means we could take them from one donor and give it to a different recipient without the need for any immunosuppression. Mm-hmm. And um, we could, what we do in our clinical trial is we infuse them intravenously um, without trying to target them into any specific part of the body. So we just give it by an intravenous infusion. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So you inject them into the bloodstream, but you don't you don't try to apply them locally to a damaged cartilage in the knee or you know, uh, near a certain organ or appendage? In research that I'm doing at the university that's not part of the company, we are injecting these cells directly into people's hearts. To, who, people who have heart damage due to a variety of reasons are receiving these injections directly into the heart. But at Longevron, hmm. what we're doing is uh, intravenous infusion, trying to get a, a whole body or systemic effect. So what uh, what have you seen as the effect, and what does the literature say is the difference between injecting lo- into a local area versus the, the blood? It all depends what you're trying to accomplish. Um, so there's a lot of studies right now that look at uh, delivery methods. And again, it, it really just comes down to the condition you're trying to treat. There's a lot of data that supports the idea that if you have a systemic condition, you could just do a systemic infusion, meaning that you don't, in the, in the instance of treating aging frailty, there is no need to do a, um, a, a direct injection in, into any part of the body. Now, if you're trying to treat a, a, an injured knee, that might be different, and there will have to be more research in the future that would compare 
an intravenous infusion to a directed injection into a knee, it's possible that one of the future ways of dealing with that would be to do both, to give an intravenous infusion and an injection into a specific um, body part. But we just don't know enough about it right now to know what the best way is. Well, have there been demonstrated any negative or unintended consequences of injecting into the bloodstream versus locally? No. And that's one of the really exciting things about this field as a, as a new area of therapeutics. It is one of the safest things we've ever come across in all of medicine. Um, so regardless of how you give it to a patient, it's very, very safe. The side effect profile is, is amazing, amazingly good. There have been clinical trials using mesenchymal stem cells that go back now to the early uh, 2000s. And really, the side effect profile is, is amazing compared to any drug. You know, you, uh, if you give people aspirin or Tylenol, there's going to be a significant side effect profile. The side effect profile with intravenous infusions of mesenchymal stem cells is, is really, really good. Well, how is the media treated uh, stem cells and injecting them into the body? I've you know, I haven't really searched Google much, but uh, has the media been positive or negative? Have there any been, uh, you know, um, cries that, oh, it hurts people or it's caused problems or is that real or not real? I mean, what does it look publicly? What's the face of this look like? It's it's all over the place, right? It's, it's very controversial. I mean, uh, there's tons of articles, good, you know, good and bad, controversial, non-controversial. I think in the, in the in the instance of technology advancement in the domain that we're talking about now of companies trying to take products through the regulatory pathway with the FDA I think it's very very positive if you look at if you look at the biotech literature and the biotech uh periodicals the, these are products that are in late stage phase 2 or early stage phase 3 trials there's been a big push to the field from governments. The United States passed the 21st Century Cures Act at, in 2016 to try to accelerate the development and the approval of cell therapy in the U.S. The Japanese government had previously passed a law accelerating approval. There's also acceleration laws in Europe. Really worldwide, I think there's the recognition that this is a new area of medicine. There, I think lots of groups treating it very responsibly, as, as is our group, doing very rigorously designed clinical trials under FDA INDs, trying to get the answers. So I think there are no safety signals. And really, what's, I think what's missing is the levels of funding that we could, that could, we could uh, move this faster. I think it needs to be moved faster than it is being moved. And the only way you can go faster is with more funding. And right, yeah. uh, but having said that, I think I think you're going to see the next two three years as a time of tremendous uh, release of information about cell-based therapy for a variety of conditions. Okay, well let's get into some of the mechanics of it. So, um, is it best to harvest cells from someone years before they have a problem? So when they get older and they know that they're going to get frail, use their quote unquote younger cells to heal them, or does it not matter? You you know, someone 75 has a problem, you could harvest their bone marrow right then and it's fine. I think the way to go is to actually use a donor cell. 
because you can make a donor cell as a as a pharmaceutical grade product and have make large quantities of it and have it ready. So I see that I see no need to um, to take a, a a cell from an individual to give it back to them either earlier or at the time. For these types of conditions, it's much much better to use a donor cell. So you'd want to use a donor cell from uh, some young, like twenty one year old, you know, person that's in great shape. Yes. And uh, you know. And spare the marrow and they're fine. Yes. Um, so when you take a sample, how many times can you culture it or replicate it? Can one person's sample help thousands of people or it only has a certain number of, um, you know, lifetimes of use or um, multiplicity of use? From one person, from one donation, we can treat hundreds of people. And we're working on technologies to scale up the production. So it may be thousands of people in the future, but for now it's hundreds. That's great. Wow. Yeah, it really, it really is very, very exciting. Huh. So what's happened in the, uh, in the trial so far? What's happened? What are the effects have been upon uh, frailty? Like what are the changes in the body and when? We, we published a phase two trial last year in 2017. It was a small trial and what we, it was placebo controlled. We showed that individuals, who received uh, mesenchymal stem cells had an improvement in functional capacity, meaning they could work, they had an improved ability to walk and greater coordination. They had improvement in their mini mental scores, so their cognitive abilities were better. And in addition, they had an improvement in their, in their blood tests measuring inflammation. Levels of inflammation in the bloodstream were reduced. Did you, how much of an improvement percentage-wise and how long did it take? We followed people over six months and we measured their effects at three and six months. And we saw that by three months already, people were noticeably better in these objective terms. And um, The amount of improvement in the six-minute walk distance was really stunning. It was about 70 meters, which is almost a, a full football field, which to us make, makes a very meaningful impact on a uh, an older person's quality of life. So there was a significant increase, it was meaningful, and it came on rapidly at about three months. And it was also accompanied by an improvement in coordination and an improvement in inflammation in the blood. Was it uh, one treatment or did it be injected multiple times over a period of three months? This, no, no, it was a single treatment and people were followed for six months. We're now doing a trial where we're treating people um, uh, annually for four or five different, in, uh, for, for four or five different, uh, doses, one per year, because, you know, obviously if you're 75, 80 years old and you had a benefit, you'd like to keep that benefit going. So we've done a safety study of repeated infusions. Well, what happens if you do the infusions uh, weekly or, or more often? Is it too much? Does it overload the body? Well, we don't know, but we don't think it's necessary. And it is, you know, it is, uh, it is a sophisticated biological treatment. And, you know, the basic principle in medicine always is to not give more than you need, right? So if you're getting the desired effect with the dose that we have chosen and the duration we've chosen, then unless there's a compelling reason, and and one that's proven by having data, then I see no reason to load somebody up. But again, like everything in medicine, it's an empiric field, and you have to generate the data for um, you. You just have to generate the data to get the answer. You can't 
surmise what it's going to be without without doing the study actually. No, that makes sense. Um, what's the mechanism of action? What is, what's taking three months and what's happening in the body? Do you surmise? So with aging frailty, there's basically a phenomenon called sarcopenia that is uh, associated with frailty, and sarcopenia is a loss of muscle mass, and that we think the loss of muscle mass comes because the body's own stem cells are depleted and because there's some inflammation that accumulates in the body with age. The, the cell infusions, we believe, can both replete the endogenous stem cells and reduce the inflammation, and therefore we believe it can um, reverse the sarcopenia and some of the other mechanisms that are associated with aging. Okay. And how are you able to use um, donor stem cells versus a person's own stem cells? How come the body doesn't um, create an immune response? It's a great question. And one of the key things about these cells, which makes them unique, and is another reason why I think they should be called stem cells and are stem cells, is because they're immunoprivileged. And adult, adult cells are not immunoprivileged, but these prim primitive cells are immunoprivileged. So they lack the proteins on their surface that the immune system recognizes. And it's because of that reason that you can infuse them and they're not recognized. So um, that is why they're immunoprivileged. And it's a very unique feature of this cell type. And it's one that adds to the great practicality of using them. Because, because they're immunoprivileged, you can make large batches from a given individual, as we've already talked about, and treat hundreds of people. Have there been any negative effects in the you know lab animals or in any tests so far or unusual effects? There have not been untoward effects in lab animals. We have a lot, okay, we've had a very hear. we've had an amazing safety record with these cells in in all different kinds of models. So how far out are you from being able to uh, you know put this on the market? You said you're working on a phase two. What's the timeline? The two B trial is going to be finished enrollment next year. And we'll have the data the year after. We're working, we're in constant contact with the FDA, negotiating for uh, some various accelerated pathways to see if we can expedite um, approval. At the worst case scenario, we, we'd have to do a large phase three trial at the end of the phase 2B trial. We're in discussions with FDA about that. We're also trying to get approval via accelerated pathways in Japan because I think I mentioned before the Japanese government has created an accelerated pathway. So what are some examples of timelines? How many years if path one versus path two? Well, I would say in the best case scenario, which is very optimistic, and I, I don't know for sure that we, that we can accomplish this, it's possible we could get approval in 2020 um, with the data that we will have accumulated by then. The... Uh, worst case scenarios that, you know, uh, as, and people always complain about how long it takes to develop something through traditional mechanisms uh, under FDA, uh, you know, it could be another five years of, of large scale massive clinical trials. We hope that we'll, we hope that we'll be able to take advantage of an accelerated pathway, get on the market, and then be able to do larger phase three studies uh, in a post-marketing fashion which many of these accelerated regulatory approval pathways allow for. So we're remaining, we're remaining um, optimistic right now. Okay. What if this is uh, used to treat other conditions other than indicated? 
Are you saying what if that occurs, or could you do? We yeah, think I mean, this is a you know you're injecting this into the blood, so I mean it has an intended use, but it seems like it easily could be used for other things. Oh yeah, there's a wide variety of indications that could be potentially treated with uh, with infusions of these cells: immunologic conditions, osteoarthritis, neurologic conditions. There are many, many conditions that uh, that are amenable to to this treatment. All of which I think would best be treated in a clinical trial. And uh, our group at the University of Miami and the group at Longevron are engaged in many, many different clinical trials. Okay. So is it possible in the next uh, five years or so that people will be able to go to a doctor if they're older and get uh, get stem cells injected into them? Absolutely. Absolutely. Once there's approval, I mean, the rate-limiting step here is FDA approval. Once we would get a, a what's called a BLA from the FDA, we would then be able to market it and seek, uh, you know, seek reimbursement approval from CMS and do all of those things. So our goal is to get this on the market. Very good. So what's the um, what's next after this? I mean, I know it's probably plenty to work on, but what else are you working on? Well, uh, I, I basically uh, the, uh, our eye is on the ball of getting the clinical trials accomplished and having the data read out. That's the key step for us right now. Um, we are um, uh, th- that's it. You know, we need we need that data. The other things we're working on are optimizing production ability at our company. If we if we get approval, there's going to be a huge demand. We're going to have to scale up in production. We're going to need to optimize our, our production techniques so that they're compliant with a commercial product with the FDA. And then we're thinking about a few other disease indications that we could study. One of them is Alzheimer's disease as well. Well, very good. So what's the best way for uh, interested people to get in touch Oh, we have we have a website. We can be contacted through the website. We'd love to hear from people, and uh, uh, we're interested to engage with all uh, any any folks who are interested in what we're doing and provide additional information. And we can we're easily accessible via our website, which you listed up up front. Okay, and again, it's longeveron.com. That's the website. Yeah. All right, Josh. Well, thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.